Peace be with you. My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn Heights. And this week, as she said, we are continuing our series through the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is masterfully organized according to a number of different themes that are all woven into the text simultaneously. For instance, there, there are a series of miracles performed by Jesus, which the Gospel of John calls signs. Last week, we looked at the first of those signs, where Jesus turned water into wine at a wedding in Cana. And this week, we are back in Cana for the second of Jesus' signs, the healing of a royal son. Now, the English Standard Version, the ESV, has labeled this section, Jesus heals an official's son. But the word official doesn't really capture the full meaning of the Greek here. This man was closely associated with royalty. Okay? I want to mention that up front because I think it's a key detail that helps us to understand the meaning of this sign. Jesus brings a boy back from the brink of death, and the boy is a son of royalty. In the book of Numbers, chapter 14, the people of Israel have come to the very border of the promised land, and there they begin to grumble. They grumble against Moses, their leader, and they grumble against God himself, and they even start making plans to return to slavery in Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me, and how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? The people of Israel had witnessed 10 devastating plagues in Egypt. They had lived through the Passover. They had walked across the Red Sea as on dry land. They had watched as their enemies were swept away in those waters. They saw the glory of God descend upon Mount Sinai. They were led through the wilderness by a pillar of fire. They were sustained by water from a rock and food from the sky. But despite all of these signs, the people were preparing to return to slavery in Egypt. Why? Because they did not trust in the Word of God, the promise of God. They had seen the signs of God, but they did not trust the Word of God. Now, according to Exodus chapter 4, Israel was the firstborn son of God, a royal son. But in Numbers 14, the firstborn son was proving to be radically unfaithful and disobedient. And God was prepared to cut off his firstborn son. In other words, the royal son of God was on the brink of death. Had it not been for Moses' intervention, the people of Israel would have been cut off. And so, like the royal official here in John chapter 4, Moses intercedes for a son of royalty who was on the brink of death. Moses trusted in the word of God and God's firstborn son was spared. So, rather than destroying his people right then and there, God had them wander in the wilderness for another 38 years. 38 years. Now, here's a teaser for next week. Immediately following John chapter 4, that's our passage today, Jesus performs his third sign. Next week, Jesus will heal a man who has been lame for many years. How many years? 38 years. Jesus brings a royal son back from the brink of death, and then he restores a man after 38 years of being totally dependent. Jesus is performing signs that retell the history of Israel. That's for next week. 
Let's take a look at today's text, verses 46 to 48. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Again, this official was closely associated with royalty. His royal son is at the point of death, and he comes to Jesus for help. And Jesus' response is, is very interesting. He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, the, the you here is plural. He's saying, unless y'all see signs and wonders. <laughs> Jesus is not addressing this man directly. He's, he's talking to a crowd of people. But regardless, it initially seems as though Jesus is not going to heal the boy. He responded in a similar way back in, in chapter 2 when the wine had run out. What does this have to do with me, he said. In both cases, though, Jesus initially responds in a strange, almost dismissive manner to a request for a miracle, and then he goes on to do what's asked of him. Verses 49 and 50, the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live, or literally, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Once again, this is similar to the wedding in Cana. Jesus did not actually interact with the water in Cana. He simply gave instructions, his instructions were followed, and the water turned to wine. Similarly, Jesus does not interact with the dying boy. He simply gives instructions, his instructions are obeyed, and the boy is healed. In both cases, the emphasis is on the word of Christ, not on the sign itself, not on the miracle itself. And we see that theme being played out over and over in the Gospel of John. We are being called to trust in the word of Christ, not to seek after divine pyrotechnic. This theme culminates in John chapter 20. Following the resurrection of Christ, Thomas says, unless I see, I will never believe. And Jesus says to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's us, by the way. Jesus has not come to put on a show. He has come to deliver a message. He has come to set the world back on track. He has come to make everything new again, and that will require that his followers hear his voice and obey. Several years ago, I was, I was really wrestling with assurance of my salvation. I struggled to believe that God's grace was truly for me and that, and that I truly enjoyed his favor and forgiveness. I know some of you can relate to that. And for a while, I was praying on a daily basis for the spiritual ability to perform a miracle of some sort. I wanted to heal somebody or speak in tongues, or receive a vision, something. And looking back, I'm, I'm so very glad that God did not grant me those things. Why? Because I was placing my trust in signs and wonders. I was not trusting in the Word of God to me, the Word of God to me, the Word that He spoke over my baptism, 
the word that he speaks through the scriptures, the word that he speaks weekly in the liturgy, the word that he speaks when I come to the communion table. I wanted divine pyrotechnics, but that wasn't going to solve my problem. What I needed to hear was the word of God. I needed to hear the word of God, and I needed to take him at his word. Even in the midst of our doubts, our God is not silent. He speaks to his people constantly. Sometimes we don't hear him because we're looking for something else. Sometimes we don't hear him with our ears because we're trying to see something with our eyes. The Gospel of John warns us over and over and over again, do not seek after signs and wonders. Listen, trust, and obey. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Verses 51 and 53. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household. The royal son is brought back from the brink of death. And so if we're right to draw a link between this royal son and the people of Israel, God's firstborn son, then Jesus revives this dying boy, and in so doing, he is declaring his intention to revive the people of Israel. But more than that, the healing of this royal son foreshadows the resurrection of God's only begotten son, Jesus Christ. This boy is brought back from the brink of death just as Israel had been brought back from the brink of death. But Jesus is not spared. On the cross, the Son of God was on the brink of death, and this time the Father did not intervene. Jesus is given over to death. But he died eternal life to bring and lives that death may die. As the marred body of Christ rested in that tomb, the eternal word of God thundered down deep into the realm of darkness. And it echoed and reverberated there with such power and authority that death could not contain him. And so he burst out of that grave, having put on imperishable flesh. And he lives to bring healing to all people. And because he lives, we can trust him. We can trust him. The resurrection of Christ was the vindication and confirmation of everything he ever did and everything he ever said. He is himself the word of God. We ought to trust him and we ought to obey him. No other miracles are necessary. God still works miracles. God still works miracles. God still works miracles. But we don't need to see miracles in order to trust him. The Gospel of John gives us signs and wonders and warns us against trusting in signs and wonders. As Jesus prepares to miraculously heal this boy, he exhorts the crowd around him toward a faith which has no need of a miracle. The royal official in this story demonstrates the sort of faith we are to have. Jesus spoke a word. The royal official trusted and obeyed that word. He did not need to see the sign. 
He simply trusted the word, and, and more specifically, he trusted in Christ, who is the word. Look back at verse 50. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Okay, the word for the word here in verse 50 is logos. And if you'll think back to John chapter 1, that's the same word used to describe Jesus as the eternal word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So this is a play on word, if you will. We are not to distinguish between trusting in Jesus' words and trusting in Jesus as the word. The Bible does not say, in the beginning was the sign. It says, in the beginning was the word. And so we trust the word, not the sign. What does trusting in signs and wonders look like today? How are modern Christians tempted to trust in signs? We, we may not say this explicitly, but sometimes I think we require certain things from God before we will obey His Word or take action in some way. So number one, some of us want to feel at peace about every decision. And, and of course, feeling at peace is a good thing, but our hearts are deceitful, which means we can feel at peace about some really bad decisions. Moses didn't have peace about going to Pharaoh. The Israelites didn't have peace about entering into the promised land. Jonah did not have peace about going to Nineveh. And at least initially, Jesus didn't have peace about going to the cross. God does not micromanage our lives. He, he invites us to cultivate biblical wisdom, which is really hard work. And, and He calls us to humbly listen to the wisdom of others, which can be even harder work. Number two, some of us want to experience divine pyrotechnics. Again, this is part of my story. But God has not promised us divine pyrotechnics. He has promised to be with us always. And He's given us His Word, and that's enough. Number three, I think some of us use calling as a means of justifying our inaction. We hear God's command to care for the poor. We hear God's command to step into community and to love sacrificially. We hear God's command to practice an uncomfortable form of hospitality. But we say, I'm not sure the Lord has called me to that particular type of ministry. And that's pious sounding, but it's really just disobedience. That's approaching God's command like a whitewashed tomb. Sometimes we just need to jump in with both feet and learn by doing and no, that is not the opposite of cultivating biblical wisdom. Number four, some of us listen for God's voice in every coincidence. And often, the coincidences we see just affirm what we already wanted to do. We have an objective, written word from God, the Bible. But we are looking for subjective, mystical words. Or we're listening for a divine whisper even as we ignore the brothers and sisters through whom the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to us. Now, again, to clarify, I, I do believe God can speak through those means. I do believe that. But normally, daily, God speaks through the Scriptures. And God speaks through Christian community. And even when God does appear to be speaking through subjective signs, those things still need to be submitted to the Scriptures and to the Christian community. A mature faith will not seek after signs. A mature faith will simply trust the Word. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
So every Christian is like the royal official here in John chapter 4. The world is broken. We all feel it. We are plagued by sickness and death. And the people in this room have come to Jesus because he has the power to heal. But at this point, we, we are simply being called to cling to his word. Just like the royal official, every Christian lives in between a promise and the fulfillment of that promise. That's the Christian life. We live in between a promise and the fulfillment of that promise. We have all heard the word, but we have not yet seen the sign. We are all walking a long journey toward home, trusting that when we arrive, we will see the resurrected Son of God. We will see the royal Son alive. And on that day, everything will be restored, and we will be the heirs of every good thing. He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Trust the word. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you have not left us alone in this world to fend for ourselves. You have spoken. You still speak. You have given us your word, and for that we are grateful. We are thankful. Jesus, eternal word of the Father, royal Son of God, we praise you for your victory over death, and we thank you for the promise of new life. Holy Spirit, be with us as we live between the promise and the fulfillment of that promise. And we thank you for preserving for us the Scriptures. By them we are formed and sustained. In them we find our hope and salvation. Teach us to trust in the Word. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.